Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Back when music only came out on vinyl, an album's liner notes gave music lovers all this extra information. Lyrics, images, a bit of a backstory. So in the days of streaming and digital music, has something valuable been lost? Broken Record bills itself as liner notes for the digital age, and in it, the writer and podcaster Malcolm Gladwell teams up with the legendary producer Rick Rubin and former New York Times media editor Bruce Headlam for long-form interviews with famous musicians about their life in music. The very first episode was with Rick Rubin himself, all about his experiences producing acts like the Beastie Boys, Johnny Cash and Run DMC. Since then, guests have included David Byrne and Nile Rodgers. There's also a funny one with the comedian Dave Hill about his love for that well-known musical genre, Norwegian black metal. Here's the DJ and drummer Amir Khalid Thompson, a.k.a. Questlove, who became famous with the influential hip-hop group The Roots. And Rick Rubin's trying to find out how he developed his distinctive drumming style. I think if you if you didn't have the training that you had in the precision before, you couldn't do the drunk style as as well as you do. You're right. I don't I think it's, I don't recommend people. And you know that's kind of crazy that you say that because even now young drummers are on YouTube going to the top of Mount Fuji to learn the fanciest thing and. I tell them all the time, like, you got to go to first grade first. You don't start off getting your doctorate. My dad was a notorious. He loved that whole James Brown, I'm finding you five, ten dollars for that role. You know, my dad's doing oldie stuff. So basically all of his stuff is all the same. Like, And in my head, you know, I'm doing this at 12. At 12. And... I'm having a conversation with myself like, okay, if I do a clean fill, maybe he won't find me 20 bucks. So then I, oh, I got away with that. And then when the bridge comes, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something like, and already 10, 20, up. I'm back here. <laughs> like, he will not, my father did not hesitate ever to just, he wouldn't even look at me. You just look at his right hand, and if he flashed a five, five, 10, 15, 20. That's where I really got my disciplined chops from, not wanting to have my salary at the end of the night. <laughs> Thank God for your dad. Yeah, man. As well as drumming for The Roots, Questlove also has done all kinds of other rock and roll stuff too, DJing at White House parties for Barack Obama, supporting Bruce Springsteen. And he's also got a regular TV gig on The Tonight Show, starring Jimmy Fallon. When The Roots first got The Tonight Show, like the first day where we had to sit in front of each other and rehearse, that was one of the hardest musical moments of my life. Like, I actually stop rehearsal after like three minutes and call my manager like yo it's kind of weird man what do we do because literally 
we've had a relationship as a group for 18 years where it's just like sound check, three hour show. We never rehearsed. So to be facing each other and trying to figure out how to be creative was so hard for like the first two weeks. And then we got over that quickly and then noticed like, oh, we're really good songwriters together. Because previously we were doing the, the white album thing. Like, okay, here's my song. Uh, let me hear your song. Yeah, hey, I got a bridge for that. Let me hear my song. So now like we're writing songs together. But then it's, it's also being in those close quarters enabled us to actually be friends again. One of, the, one of the weirdest things I saw, we, we opened up for the Chili Peppers in Italy at a soccer stadium for the 90,000 people. And there was a part after the third song on the show, those four got in a, a magic circle. Like Chad came from behind the drum set and they all came in a magic circle. And I was like, okay. The audience is cheering. And it's like three minutes and then they go back. By the fourth night, I was like, why don't they just have a set list? So I went to Flea, and I was like, yo, what do y'all talk about when y'all get in that circle? He's like, oh, man, we're just, like, grateful, man. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, dog, we're just an L.A. band, you know, in front of a soccer stadium of 100,000 people, man. I said, oh, you're not talking about the show or anything? He says, nah, man, we're talking about, like, dinner that night, and remember that riff we did in rehearsal? Like, we just take three minutes out to be grateful for this moment. So then I went back to my manager. I was like, yo, they're, they're not even talking about anything deep. They're, they, they're just talking about that. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. I was like, that's not silly to you? He's like, well, yeah, they like each other. You guys don't like each other. And that hurt me so bad. I'm like, we like each other. He's like, dude, you have a Slither and a Gryffindor bus. You guys traveled separately. You don't talk to each other, da, da, da. You got to be friends in order to, to get that sort of magic back. And then... Seeing them do that, then that really retooled our relationship with each other. And then the third part was that just personal rehearsal time. Like now that we have a, a steady job and I almost feel like I've robbed our fan base for 18 years because I've learned so much in these past 10 years of doing the show that I didn't know. I got educated on how to make music, how to be a band, how to be a better musician in these past 10 years that I didn't know between 1992 and 2008, which is weird. Amazing. It's amazing. I'm not giving back it's, refunds it's either. <laughs> it's, funny. it's funny when you say that about the Chili Peppers in the circle. It's like you, you said they weren't talking about anything important. They were actually talking about the only thing that was important. Had they only been talking about the show, it wouldn't have mattered. You know, they, they were interested in something higher, let's say. Yeah. I didn't realize it at the Beautiful. time. I get it now, but I, I didn't realize that then. Questlove on Broken Record. And after Tom Petty died in 2017, Malcolm Gladwell spoke to his fellow presenter Rick Rubin about his work producing Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers in the early 90s. We started making Wildflowers, which is the album in question, and part of him getting out of his MCA deal a record early was to deliver a greatest hits record. And part of delivering the greatest hits record was to add two new songs to it. And it's hard to write a song to fit in with the greatest songs you've ever written. It's just a difficult task. Almost every time that happens, it's, it doesn't work out well. And, um, and we were already working on Wildflowers. And Tom very wisely said, you know, I feel like what we're making here is a very 
specific body of work. And even though we're in the middle of this, if we have to do songs for the Greatest Hits album, I'd rather do them separately in a separate studio and kind of think of it as its own thing. So while we were set up at Sound City working on Wildflowers, we set up at Oceanway with slightly different band. The original drummer, the Heartbreakers, was in that session, not in the Wildflower sessions. So it was the, the entire original Heartbreakers. And we did two songs, one of which was Last Dance with Mary Jane. And that was on The Greatest Hits. So it was like to write a hit to order for The Greatest Hits album was an unbelievable feat. And then we also recorded at that time with those with that band, maybe, I want to say we probably recorded about 50 songs just because they were such a machine of a band. They had been a band their whole lives. Uh, have you seen the uh, Peter Bogdanovich documentary? No. Really worth seeing. It's like four hours long. And when you watch it, you're you're awed by how many great songs he has. Like one after it's like, how can there be this many good songs from one person? You don't you don't put it together that it's all him. So the band had been a band since they were in high school together. All knew each other. They knew a million songs. They used to play cover songs. So because we had the band in the studio, and I think Tom was kind of having fun once we got the the heavy lifting out of the way of getting the song we needed, he said the second song would be a cover song. And he thought it would be this Thunder, Thunderclap Newman song, which it ended up being. But we recorded, as I say, about 50 songs to choose from. 50? Probably. How unusual is that? It's a, Not a lot of bands can do it. It's like it's you have to be really good to be able to do that. But those songs, many of which ended up, there was a white box set called Playback. Most of those songs were on Playback. So it wasn't just for... I mean, we didn't know that. We didn't know they'd ever come out. It was just sort of having fun. But while they were in there, we thought, let's take advantage of, let's just play a bunch of songs. What was, how did they write music? Was it very collective? No. It was usually Tom with an acoustic guitar, more often than not, would write a song by himself. Then he would often make homemade demo with a drum machine and put on the parts that he wanted. So more often than not, there would be a demo that sounded like a, less professional version of the final that we would bring to the band and then that would be the the starting point that we'd work He's on. writing music and lyrics. Everything. Everything. Everything, yeah. So now, he, the other members of the band contribute a tremendous amount, but the initial framework was always set by Tom first. On occasion, Mike Campbell would bring in a guitar, a guitar idea first or maybe even a guitar-based song and then Tom would take that, rework it, and make it into a Tom Petty song. But probably one or two an album, maybe. Rick Rubin speaking to Malcolm Gladwell on Broken Record, produced by Justin Richmond and Jason Gambrell for Pushkin Industries. Thanks for listening to the podcast hour from RNZ. If you're finding it helpful to find new stuff to listen to, then please do consider rating or reviewing us with as many stars as you can manage wherever you get your podcasts from and tell your friends and family about us too. And if you're writing a review, then do let us know what you like about the show or how it could be improved. So if you'd like to hear longer clips, more interviews with the people making the shows that we feature... And if four shows is about the right number to highlight each week, that kind of stuff, it would be really helpful to know. 
Thanks a lot.